Well, happy 2021 to uh, everyone. This is uh, our first podcast of 2021. This is Maurice Jones with Lisk, and I'm so um, honored and uh, privileged to uh, be able to talk to you today with two guests, two special guests from the Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives, Erica Mock and Ken Morris. And um, I wanna start by just welcoming you both Erica and, uh, and Ken. And what I'd like to do uh, is let you all self-introduce yourself to our audiences, if you don't mind. And, and Erica, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start uh, with you first. Uh, tell us your, your story uh, and uh, introduce yourself to this audience. All right. Well, thanks again so much for having me, Maurice. And um, it's just uh, so great to be here and, and for this to be your first show of 2021. That's exciting. Uh, so my name is Erica Mock. I am the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships for the Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives in Rochester, New York. And I uh, have been a part of the organization for almost a decade now and have recently moved from Columbus, Ohio to Rochester to assume the role and to really dive into uh, uh, a lot of the visions that we have for our organization and, uh, and, and focusing on racial equity. Terrific, welcome. And we're gonna come back to uh, the organization, uh, big picture. Uh, Ken, uh, uh, welcome. And uh, I won't spoil it for the audience. Uh, <laughs> So uh, introduce yourself to, uh, to our audience, please. Well, well, thank you very much, Maurice, for having us on. And I'd be uh, happy to introduce myself. I am the great-great-great-grandson of Frederick Douglass, and I'm also the great-great-grandson of Booker T. Washington and co-founder and president of the Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives. We're an anti-racist and abolitionist organization with the mission to build strong children and to end systems of exploitation and oppression. And it's, we really appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak with you and to be able to share with your audience the important work that we're doing out of Rochester, New York to lift up the life and legacies of my great ancestors. Well, it's, it's such a delight uh, and an honor. Uh, and um, you know how um, so, sometimes you, you feel like uh, you're able to talk with folks or um, listen to folks or see folks or a work of art or whatever, and it can transform you uh, to another uh, another day and time. And I got to say, the the ability for me to be able to talk with you all feels like uh, I am being transported back to uh, pre Civil War days and uh, and Reconstruction days, and uh, so. It's a real honor, and um, um, it's uh, it's a uh, in, in all honesty, it's a uh, it's uh, it's a spiritual experience to to be able to to chat with you. I, I wonder, um, Ken, if you could uh, uh, just uh, tell the audience how the um, family initiatives actually came into being. Uh, how how is it that that this Frederick Douglass family initiatives even existed? Well, you know, it was it was a long journey. Uh, I've always known of my relationship to, to both of my ancestors. Um, there was never really a, a point where someone sat me down and said, hey, we've got something really important to tell you. It's just something that I've always known. 
I spent all of my summers in Frederick Douglass's summer beach house on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland that was built for him to retire in. And so images of my ancestors were all around me. And I, I really spent most of my life decisively disengaged from this lineage for a number of reasons. I had seen what the pressure had done to those that came before me. And when I was younger, the few times I would tell my friends or my classmates of my relationship, nobody ever believed me. And I never thought that it was a, a point worth arguing. So I, I really was running away from this for most of my life. But that all changed in 2005 when my co-founder, Robert Benz, who was a business partner of mine at that time, he handed me a National Geographic magazine. And the cover story was 21st century slaves. And it was an article about human trafficking and modern day slavery still existing all over the world, including right here in the United States. And there was something that really just hit me in the, in the face, just hit, hit me hard that, you know, this is something that my ancestors, Frederick Douglass had fought to end slavery in the United States and Booker T. Washington had founded a school, Tuskegee Normal School, to educate those former, some of those formerly enslaved people. And I had two daughters, I have two daughters, and at the time they were 12 and nine years old. And I had this moment where I was going to say goodnight to them and tuck them safely into their beds. And I couldn't even look at them. And it really was something that just welled up inside of me that I understood that I had this platform that my ancestors had built through struggle and through sacrifice, and perhaps we could leverage the historical significance of my ancestry to do something about this. So Robert and I and my mother, Nettie Washington Douglas, who, by the way, is the person that united the bloodlines of these two famous families through the union of her parents, we started the Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives, and we turned immediately to schools uh, to talk about this human rights issue, human rights abuse, and we framed everything within the context of history, starting with the great heroes and heroines that came before us. And then we would transition into talking about this human rights issue of human trafficking. And then as we evolved with the program, we um, plugged in civic engagement and service learning into a program that we would call History, Human Rights and the Power of One. And Erica, I know also that particularly in this day and age when this is such an important topic, the work around race equity is work that uh, has a particular um, resonance with you and with me and with others. I wonder if you could tell us uh, a bit about what you're doing in, in that space and what it means for you. Absolutely. So um, I've always been uh, a person who gravitates towards children because I really firmly believe out of the mouths of babes. We get sometimes the most honest uh, um, conversation that's unjaded um, and comes from a true sense of a, a true place. And so a thing that I've always kind of uh, gravitated toward, like I said, was children. Um, Starting with myself, um, I can say that what led me to this organization um, was already set in stone um, a really long time ago, um, unbeknownst to myself. And um, I started out uh, in London, Ohio, a small community, and I was an avid reader. And so I spent a lot of time in the library. And one day, because I decided that my bullies wouldn't be in the library, that that would be the best and safest place for me to be, uh, that I came, the very first book that I ever purchased for myself was Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. Uh, and, it, and it began to, to get the wheels spinning. Uh, and then after that, uh, almost a year to the date 
exactly. Um, I was blessed with the first time I ever held in my hands the narrative uh, of Frederick Douglass. And so I read these two books of these two great human beings that I'd never been really exposed to uh, of their types of lives. And it would begin to start the trajectory of my personal journey that I just, again, wasn't aware of. Um, so I read uh, both of those books and I, I, I carried them with me and the thoughts of both of these great men with me for years uh, until about 10 years ago. Uh, I was studying at the Ohio State University in the uh, Black Studies Department and I had an opportunity to, to, do, the, to do a debate uh, about Booker T. Washington and uh, W.E.B. Du Bois and I came across FDFI, uh, the Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives and there was no way that was real. I thought that was just something on the internet that was, you know, um, for lack of a better news. So I, uh, so I reached out to uh, the co-founder Robert Benz and in an email, I remember I said, is this real? And his statement back to me was, in fact, it is. <laughs> so um, we had a, a really lengthy conversation uh, and then uh, some more years would pass and I was a volunteer for many years. And this past summer, some things changed and uh, an opportunity afforded itself to me to come to Rochester and really uh, provide anything I can and the support of FDFI um, to work on race equity and the inequalities that, that are facing people of color here in Rochester. I, I meant to ask you all to um, uh, enlighten the audience of why uh, the Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives is in Rochester. I I, I know why, but uh, not not everybody may. I, uh, school us on that piece. I'll let you take that one, Ken. <laughs> yeah, well, Frederick Douglass uh, spent 25 years in, in Rochester and the Douglass family. And of course, my great, great, great grandmother, Anna Murray Douglass, who's an important uh, part of this story as well. She and Frederick were married for 44 years. They had five children together and 21 grandchildren. Uh, she had assisted him when he escaped from slavery in Baltimore by selling her personal belongings and sewing the sailor's disguise that he would wear. And then also giving him the courage to run away by planting the seed of thought in his mind that Frederick, you're not meant to be a slave for life. I don't care what your enslaver says to you. And as they're thinking about a life together, and having children, she said, Frederick, I don't want our children's father to be a slave. And so had she not planted the seed of thought in his mind, who knows if he would have had the courage or wherewithal to escape and we would be a very different country than we are today. And so the Douglas family spent 25 years in Rochester, it's where Frederick Douglass published the North Star newspaper, which was the leading abolitionist voice. It's where Frederick and Anna, are buried at Mount Hope Cemetery. So Rochester is the place that they chose for their final resting place. And it's the place that we chose to uh, really, you know, take our organization uh, to that next step. And I'll just say one final thing about Anna. Uh, she was a conductor on the Underground Railroad. She helped to ferry hundreds of freedom seekers through their home in Rochester uh, to their freedom in Canada. So she is kind of a, um, a figure that's been pushed aside in history, but we, we're working really hard to lift up her life and legacy as well because we'd be a very different country. That's terrific. You know, I was about to ask you, uh, when will Anna's biography be written? Uh, because, you know, the little that I've learned by reading about Frederick uh, Anna 
was uh, just uh, incredible and uh, a story that uh, I think would inspire many. I know we, we don't have the same kind of documentation, but boy, uh, there seems like there's enough there to. Uh, yeah. Well, I, to, I will tell you that to write I know that story. I, I know of at least two scholars that are working on uh, her biography. And there's also a um, three volumes of books that are going to be published later this year the Anna Murray Douglas and Frederick Douglas papers. Uh, the scholar that I've worked with uh, in the past and the book Picturing Frederick Douglas, which was a book that we made the case that he was the most photographed American of the 19th century. Yeah. Um, Celeste Marie, Marie Bernier is publishing these three volumes and there are 1000 letters that she's transcribed, letters from children to their parents, Douglas children to their parents, grandkids to their parents. And there's a lot of information in there about Anna and her life. So stay tuned for okay. all of that. That's great. Tell us about the One Million Abolitionist Project that you, that you have. Either, either one. Yeah, well, I, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and start. And then, Eric, if you want to piggyback off of anything I say, we're, it's a project that we're really excited about. 2018 was Frederick Douglass's bicentennial. And we decided to republish or publish a special bicentennial edition of his first autobiography, The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. He wrote it when he was 27 years old only seven years removed from slavery, having never spent one day of his life in a classroom, so no, no formal education. He was a self-taught scholar. He writes this classic piece of literature that the Library of Congress named one of the 88 books that shaped America. And it's a book that, that everyone should read. You know, my whole life, I've had people of every age and race come up to me, sometimes with tears in their eyes, just to say exactly, what Erica said, that I read up, up from slavery when I was in middle school, or I read the narrative when I was in uh, high school or, or college. And so we wanted to make sure that we could put his words into the hands of young people everywhere. And so we've published this beautiful bicentennial edition, and we're working to give away 1 million copies of this book to young people everywhere. Um, we're approaching 100,000 copies, so we're a long way from that million. But we know with the help of uh, community and foundations and corporations that hear our message and what we want to do that we'll get to that 1 million and we'll, we're going to work as long and as hard as we need to until we get to that. Erica, you want to add anything on this? Um, yeah, I kind of touched on it a little bit before you asked uh, about the narrative, but something specific and I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, in, in a couple of different contexts of, of what that narrative book has meant to me. Um, on a personal note, it meant that um, I was also unfit to be less than. So I've not ever, I couldn't remotely understand slavery, right? But when I read that book, and at eight years old, that child had the wherewithal, speaking of Frederick, had the wherewithal to know that he was unfit to be a slave. And it planted a seed inside of me that I didn't know that would begin to be cultivated and watered over and over and over again throughout my life growing up as a young woman, as a biracial young woman at that, just like Frederick. And what I've come to the conclusion of is that 
I am also unfit to be less than. And so that is the message that I continue to carry for myself, even in my 40s, <laughs> that, that I am enough, that I can do, that I have greatness running through me also. And I think that that is the, the, the message of that book, that when you do read it, even, if it's, even though it's a short read, when you do read it, that most people, and I think Ken will attest to this in his journey, that, that there becomes some kind of a paradigm shift um, that happens when you read those words and they just stick onto you. And um, I reread his texts over and over again, um, even when I'm discouraged or, you know, just speaking from a human standpoint, when I need a little bit more encouragement to continue the work um, that, that this that this man put forward, that that's what continues to inspire me and gives me hope and, and, and encourages me to move forward. And I just know that, that that is possible for lots of other children. And that's why we're, we're, our aim is to make sure that a million children have this book in their hands so that they, those seeds can continue to be planted. Yeah, that's the other thing that I, I've heard my whole life is that I've had this book in my library for 40, 50, 60 years. And, and that's why we uh, decided to make it a hard copy book, hardcover. Uh, we wanted young people to take it with them, uh, quote Frederick Douglass when they're in a meeting or at school. And so we're really proud of it. We've got an introduction by Brian Stevenson, who is the uh, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative out of Montgomery, Alabama, and then a chapter called What the Narrative Means to Me, which um, is are the voices of young people saying exactly you know, what Eric has been saying, that this book made me believe that I could be and do anything possible. And for you, Ken, what does the book mean for you or do for you or even bigger? What does a Frederick Douglass and a Booker T. Washington do for you today in this world that we're currently living in? Well, I'll, you know, the first part of that is you know, reading the books, being a family member, it's, it's very difficult. You know, those of us that descend from enslaved Africans, um, many can, we can only imagine and try and wonder what our ancestors went through, the inhumanity and the brutality and the exploitation and the separating of families. And I can read firsthand what happened to my ancestors. And I'll tell you, it's, it's very difficult. I read it at least both books, at least a couple of times a year. And it's, it's very hard for me to get through it. My mom, Nettie Washington Douglas, to this day, she hasn't read the narrative all the way through because it's too painful for her. Um, so with the books, that's, that's one thing. But as far as having the blood of these two great American heroes flowing through my veins, um, I, I realize that I stand on the shoulders of them. I, I walk in their shoes and you know, we spend a lot of time in schools talking to K through 12 students. And there was a 10 year old girl that said to me one time, she said, Mr. Morris, I researched my family tree and I found that my great, 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 four greats grandmother was born into slavery. She taught herself to read and write in secret. She escaped and then she became a successful businesswoman and a philanthropist. And she knew exactly what that word meant. And she was very proud of it. And so she said, you know, she's bouncing up in, in her up and down in her chair. And she said, so, so do you know what all of this means? And before I had a chance to respond, she said, 
it means I have greatness flowing through my veins, just like you do. And I'll never forget that. We all have greatness flowing through our veins. We all walk in the shoes and stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. And I think for a young person in particular to understand that, um, it uplifts them and it empowers them to know that they can continue you know, this struggle. Frederick Douglass said, without struggle, there is no progress. And right now, you know, we know where we are in this country with all of the uh, divisive rhetoric and the um, sexism and xenophobia and racism and all of the other isms and hateful, hurtful speech. But try and imagine living at a time when your federal government said that it was legal to own you and illegal to teach you. I think most people would run away from that. And thank goodness Frederick Douglass and many others didn't, or we would be a very different country today. So this should inspire us to know that no matter what challenges and struggles that we face today, that we can overcome them, but we've just got to keep pushing forward. Yeah, I love that. We all have greatness flowing through our veins. A 10-year-old girl dropped that knowledge. <laughs> yeah, well, from the mouth of babes, right? From right. the mouth of babes. Listen, thank you all for what you're doing. Thank you for your anti-human trafficking work and children. Thank you for this One Million Abolitionist Project. Uh, we're going to make sure that folks, more folks know about this post today than knew about it before. And, uh, and I look forward to trying to be helpful to you uh, as, uh, as the days and the months uh, and the years uh, pass. And um, yeah, thank you for your greatness. All right, y'all stay well. Thank, thank you. Well. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.